Okay, I'm showing um, all nine advisory board members and uh, I think the, the staff and the registered guests, everyone who has signed up looks like has been able to join us. Um, Art, should we go ahead and start? Is it now a good time to read the opening intro? Yep, go ahead. I think so. I bring this meeting to order. Okay. Well, welcome to the Parks and Recreation Advisory Board meeting, uh, April 12th. My name is Penny Holler. I'll be facilitating the Zoom video portion of this meeting. I'm joined here by Director Derek Rogers and additional Parks and Rec staff via Zoom. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel. During the meeting, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found in the lower left side of the Zoom menu. This section is also where you can turn your camera on and off. For purposes of this public meeting, please keep your video on during the meeting. For general public comment, Chair Bart Littlejohn will call you by name to speak. Each participant has three minutes for public comment. After public comment is over, you're welcome to stay on the call if you would like. Uh, similar rules apply for comments on agenda items, uh, limited to three minutes. Um, and then board members will continue their discussion afterwards. As a reminder, please state your name and your title each time you speak. And if a vote is necessary, the chair will capture votes from each advisory board member separately by roll call vote. And with that, I would like to turn the meeting over to Chair Bart Littlejohn. All right, hello everybody. Thanks for coming. Uh, and uh, right now I'd just like to do a quick roll call, see who's, who we have with us. Starting off, uh, Jackie Becker. Uh, if you would just say here, uh, Jackie here. Becker. Okay. Here. John Blazek. Here. Brendan Downey. Here. Marilyn Hall. Here. John Nalbandian. Here. Amber Nickel. Here. Pat Phillips. Here. Val Renault. Here. And me here. All right, we got a full boat. Okay. Um, and to start us off with, I would like to uh, bring us to item B, which is what are the minutes from our previous meeting on March 8th. If you haven't had a chance to go ahead and review those minutes, if you could do so now, that would be great. If everything's looking okay, I'd entertain a motion to go ahead and approve them. 
Bell, Renault, I move that we approve the minutes. Pat Phillips, I second that motion. Okay, that's Val Renault with, uh, <coughs> with the motion and Pat Phillips with the second. Um, for Little John Chair, Parks and Rec. Uh, is there any further discussion or questions regarding the minutes? Not seeing any. Um, and I think I'll just do a voice vote on this. All those in favor, just please say aye. Any opposed, please say nay. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Uh, looks like the ayes carry it, and it looks like it was pretty unanimous. So, all right, the minutes are approved. Uh, that brings us to section C, uh, public comment. Penny, it looks like we have a couple visitors today. Um, and were they? Okay. Uh, Penny Holler, management analyst. Um, I, I believe all our guests today um, are a part of agenda item number one on a partnership effort. Um, I guess I would request if anyone is here to speak on general public comments, uh, could you please raise your hand for us so you can be recognized and speak during general public comment instead of on uh, agenda item number one with our partnership effort, efforts with Friends of the Call? So I don't see anyone um, who has joined for general public comment. Okay, all right. Um... And with that, uh, I forgot, are we going to go ahead and present and then have public comment or do we want public comment first on the item? Um, certainly uh, up to the, the board. Um, I know for this item, we have uh, introductions and a presentation. Um, and then usually that would probably be the best time to open it up to uh, members of the public to comment on that item. All right. That sounds good, Bart Little John, Chair, Parks and Rec. Uh, if I would, I would go ahead and hand it over to you guys for the presentation. And then uh, to our visitors out there and guests, uh, we'll go ahead and have public comment right after that. Um, I'd like to recognize, uh, I'd like to go ahead and recognize um, our, our special guest today, um, Dawn Bueller. Um, she's listed on the agenda as uh, the executive director. Um, I know Dawn, uh, you and, and director Derek Rogers um, have uh, been working on, on this item. So welcome. Um, let me know if, if you are, are, are prepared to um, screen share for your presentation or if that's something that I can do from this end. Good afternoon. Thank you, Penny. Yes, I'm prepared to screen, screen share so I could do that. I will do that real quick. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for having us this afternoon. I'm joined by uh, the program manager for Friends of the Car. Her name's Kim Bellamere, if you see her on the screen, and also uh, David Sane, representing Sane Works. And we have a project concept that we're working on. And we've been working on this for a couple of years. And I'll try to go through this quickly because I know your time is short. So um, I sent um, a version of this, a PDF of this to Penny. So if you have want to see it in more detail, I'm sure that she could provide that so that you could watch it at your own pace. 
So just a little bit about Friends of the Call. We're a 501c3 nonprofit who's whose uh, mission is to protect and preserve the Kansas River, but we also work to promote compatible public recreational use and public access. The Kansas River is one of only three rivers in the entire state of Kansas that is a public waterway. That means that it's public from the high water mark on each side of the river. All of the other streams in Kansas are private. So the Kansas River is public land. It's not any different than um, a park that's a public park. So we use it um, as one of our uh, great uh, public land places to enjoy. So today we're going to talk to you about a project we're calling the Kansas River to Community Connection Project. And I'm going to go over quickly um, our goals, benefits, partners, costs, and then the project timeline. And what we're asking for today is for Lawrence Parker and Recreation to be a partner on this project. Now, we do have plans to bring this to every community along the Kansas River at some point but we'd really like to see a pilot project occur in downtown Lawrence to connect people between the Kansas River and the Lawrence community. So here's the overview of our project. Uh, the Kansas River is a national water trail. It was designated in 2012, and there are 19 access ramps along the 173-mile corridor. The river touches 10 counties and has access to 13 communities, of which Lawrence is one of them. We are looking to uh, put a kayak and canoe access ramp and a kayak and canoe storage locker with bike security at Bircham Park in Lawrence, Kansas. This is the Kansas River access map. Just to orient you, the river starts in Junction City, flows 173 miles to Kansas City. Along the way, there are 19 ramps. There are two right now in Lawrence, one in Riverfront Park, which is above Bowersock Dam and located in North Lawrence. The second ramp is at 8th Street. That's We call it the 8th Street ramp, but it's on the downside of Bowersock and it's also in North Lawrence. So we're looking for something that comes on the south side, a south side exit that can allow people to come into the downtown area. This is just a, a map that David Sane with Sane Works put together for us to show us where Bircham Park is. You can see the Kansas Rowing Boathouse, the KU Boathouse, and we're looking at uh, an area that we think might be a good place, and this is based upon meetings with the Parks and Rec staff and with everyone on the team, uh, of, of putting in a public kayak canoe launch ramp and a, and a locker right um, upstream of the KU Boathouse. This is a concept drawing. And if you have questions about the storage locker, David Sane, who's a local architect and a professor at KU, he's on the line here with us today and can answer your questions. But the kayak storage locker and, and a canoe locker, it's meant to hold six units. Um, there are six doors. It'll have a slide rollout on it so that you can place your canoe or your kayak and all its contents, everything, into the kayak storage locker. And then you put your own lock on it. And so the way that we envision this is that people coming down the Kansas River, and we'll talk about in a minute, uh, the, the, the water trail, but they'll come down the Kansas River, stop in Lawrence, put their gear into the kayak storage locker, 
and then walk or rent a bike and go into downtown and have dinner, maybe even stay the night in a hotel, but have a night to get off the river. This is the idea of what we call bike security, but it's on the back end of this system would allow a bike to be stored underneath um, the kayak storage locker. We do have quite a few people that um, use the river are also bike riders. And one of the things that they're looking for is a way to um, put their bike on the back or their canoe or their kayak on the back of their bike and they'll haul it up and down trails. And so they'll go in between access points on rivers. Um, if you've never seen it, it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, and then they'll take their bike and they'll, they'll take it apart and put it in their boat and, and go on the waterway. So it's almost like a loop. They're looking for a loop to um, have for recreation. So these are some of the project benefits uh, we would like to showcase Lawrence as the host of this pilot project and to be the first one on the Kansas River. We, we believe that we'll get media attention and outreach opportunities as the premier, premier river downtown connection. We'll also increase tourism opportunities for those uh, using the Kansas River Water Trail and bring people into Lawrence as a destination for river use a connection to the Lawrence Loop and the park systems with the bike feature, and a connection to the greater vision of the riverfront design. We know that there's plans in the works for um, some features below Bowersock and also the connection to the Lawrence Loop and the ability for the connection between the bike trails and the river. These are just some quick numbers. And again, I encourage you to, to get the PowerPoint from Penny so that you can see it in more detail. But Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks and Tourism did a boat ramp analysis in July to September of 2018. There were 160 people that were using Rising Sun boat ramp. That's the boat ramp in Lecompton. That's the one that a lot of people would put in at to come to Lawrence. We see a lot of folks using that section of the river so that they'll end in Lawrence. So we wanted to show you that there's quite a bit of usage on the river um, at these different locations. And these are just the locations that Wildlife and Parks used to do their boat ramp analysis. This I also thought was interesting. This is the type of vessel that was used, the type of watercraft, kayaks, canoes, boats, and paddle boards. And the greatest increase that we're seeing is in the use of kayaks. And the reason that DeSoto is so high is because it's a five-mile section. It's a shorter section that people can get on to the Kansas River. So if we put an exit point and a kayak storage locker in downtown Lawrence, we know that we're going to see an increase from the Lawrence Riverfront down to Birchen Park because it'll be a short two-mile section. There's only one other two-mile section, and it's in Manhattan. So I wanted to give you some numbers about things that are happening in terms of kayaking and rivers. There's the Little Apple Paddle in Manhattan. They have had an event there for the last, it'll be six years this year. Um, they had 99 people the first year. The last event was 350 people in 2018. 2019 was a flood year. 2020 was COVID. So we're hoping that 2021 will be back to having people at this event. But they had to cut it off. 
they ended up having like a hundred people on the wait list. So we know that there's a huge interest in these events on the river. Friends of the Caw in 2020, we had a 40% increase in our membership, the highest ever in the history of Friends of the Caw. Our beginner events sell out within 48 hours. We post something and people have signed up and completely sold it out. Last year, in uh, late, late fall, we hosted a beginner event in DeSoto. It had over 100 people on the wait list to get on the Kansas River on a beginner event. Kayaks are sold out regionally. I don't know if you all know that, but it's really hard to find a kayak in the last year. We did an event in uh, July of last year where we kayaked the entire Kansas River. We started in Junction City and ended in Kansas City to show people that you can kayak the entire Kansas River water trail. And if any of you are bike riders, you're familiar with the Katy Trail in Missouri. It's the same concept. You go from community to community to community along your trail and you stop and you get food and you resupply and you go to the restaurants and you maybe stay at a hotel and take a shower. This is what we're talking about with the Kansas River Water Trail. People can start at the beginning, end in Kansas City and stop in Lawrence along the way, but they need a place to put their kayak and their gear and lock it up because they're not gonna carry their kayak into downtown Lawrence. There's no place to put it, right? So if they can leave it down in Birchen Park in a storage locker, then they can come into town. When we did the journey, it took us nine days. We made seven community visits. We did stop in Lawrence and two of your city commissioners came and joined us down at the boat ramp, along with a lot of the community members in Lawrence and welcomed us into town. And we, uh, we had a hamburger from the burger stand and we had uh, ice cream from Silas and Maddie's and we put it all over Facebook Live so that people knew that they could enjoy something from the community. So there's lots of things happening on the River Water Trail. Uh, the Topeka Weir is almost finished. There's going to be safe passage through Topeka. Manhattan has a Three Rivers project. Topeka is going to develop their downtown. I'm on that committee and it will happen. Uh, we're finally moving in a direction for that. And then there's other cities that want to incorporate the kayak storage lockers as well. So we have lots of activity happening up and down the river. These are the project partners. Friends of the Call will write the grant, manage the project um, in coordination with the partners and have financial responsibility for the grant funds. We're asking for the City of Lawrence Parks and Recreation to provide the space for the project at Berkshire Park and have the staff to help complete the concrete pad for the storage locker. Uh, David Sane with Sane Works will design and build the kayak storage locker with the bike uh, security feature. And then we've uh, talked to the Evergy Green Team, which if you're familiar with Evergy, they have a plant um, upstream in Lawrence. Their green team will build the kayak and canoe access ramp. All materials will be built into the grant funds. We did uh, a, just a brief project cost. This is what we would apply for with the grant. I will tell you it's very much an estimate because the grant is not due until uh, September. So um, we've got some time to work out the details, but we will include these costs into the grant. 
Here's the timeline. The RFP will be out in spring 2021. The grant is due in September. It will be awarded in spring of 2022. I'm sorry, did I say that? The RFP is out spring of 2021, which is now. The grant is due this September. It will be awarded in spring of 2022. We believe we can build the uh, locker over the summer of 2022 and um, have the project completed in the fall of 2022. And there's my contact information. And um, I hope I didn't take too much time, but I did want to give you as much information as possible to consider this project. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Don. That's awesome. Uh, it's really great to hear. Um, and uh, I think our only other person, it's like we have, looks like we have David Sane on here as well. Um, with that, I would like to go ahead and uh, open it up to questions from the board. I have a question, Marilyn Hull, um, advisory board member. Uh, to what entity are you applying for the grant? Uh, that's question one. And question two is, will there be ongoing maintenance costs that Lawrence Parks and Recreation will have to um, pay? Thank you, Marilyn. Those are really good questions and I should have included those. The grant uh, is going to be to Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks and Tourism's Recreational Trails Grant. And they have funded water trail projects once before. They do fund a lot of bike projects, but we're hopeful that they'll see the opportunity to fund another water trail project. The ongoing maintenance would be provided by Lawrence Parks and Recreation, but I'd like for David maybe to say a few words about what he expects for long-term maintenance. Oh, um, you hear me now? Yeah, I had problems with my internet. I've been doing two Zoom classes a semester, all semester. For some reason today, Bitco let me down. Um, so I'm on my phone. Um, the the long-term maintenance for this should be um, extremely minimal because we're um, it'll all be um, welded steel, the entire structure, and then it'll all be um, hot dip galvanized, which is a very low maintenance finish that will um, last for decades. And um, it, if anybody spray paints it, it can be um, easily cleaned with just a solvent. If um, there's flood conditions, you'll be able to come in quite easily and power wash it off. And everything should be um, um, require very little maintenance in the long term um, with the kind of use of steel, um, the bolted connections, and the and the, the galvanized finish. This is right. Pat Phillips, board member. Um, David, one other question, because um, I was thinking of that flood area. Is that going to be also bolted down into the concrete? Yes. Yeah, it'll be bolted down to the concrete, and the sides of it are basically um, function like a bridge uh, bridge truss. Um, so the whole thing should be able to withstand even if a tree comes up and hits it. But yeah, it'll be bolted to, um, um, to concrete foundations, and it'll be um, the the 
cage-like structure of it will just let water flow straight through. And then by lifting it about four feet, you know, it's going to be about 30. Across Robinson Park here on Mass Street. Uh, an alternate, alternate route would probably be down, you know, Indiana, then you kind of loop around. So just throwing it. Kind of three different ways to get there. So we need to be sure that we include those. Thank you. Uh, Jackie Becker, Vice Chair, uh, to kind of tag on to that, will you, with the placement of where you put the ramp, you said there'd be bike parking there. Can we look to make sure that it's where the bike path is, especially if there's going to be a couple of routes? So when they park their kayak, they can see clearly that the bike path or where the bike might be can get them to either the trail that is, you know, parallel to the river or the one that might have to go through the neighborhood if there's flooding. Thank you, Jackie. We'll be sure and include that in the discussions with uh, Derek Roger and Derek Rogers and Mark Heckler. Thank you. Amber Nickel, advisory board member. I'm curious, I would assume it's because it's the safest place to put the ramp, but is that location, because it's safe, um, it is a little remote and it's a little out of sight. So I'm just curious if that was just the best location. Well, I think there were a couple of reasons and Mark is on the phone and uh, he had an interest in having it in that park as part as well. I will tell you that from Friends of the Cause perspective, we wanted it to be far enough back that people, when they get back on the river, and you know this, Amber, as a river user, the portage on the north side is closer to the dam so we need to be back far enough that we can get over across the river get to the north portage to get around bowersock to keep going on the trail but mark would you like to talk about your thoughts on that as well sure mark hecker assistant director of parks and rec and um, basically my thought is looking at it from the river if you're out on the river you have a kind of pretty serious bend of the river right there and if you're coming down even from the boat ramp up north that makes a pretty easy spot to land because you can see it if you get further down on down more by the trail on, in Bircham there's a pretty good chance you could just go right past it if you didn't know it was coming up so most of what I was thinking was visibility from the river that you want to be able to see it and yeah it's not exactly ideal from on land where we'd like to have it but I think it's best for where you can land kayaks and I'm also thinking if, if we have more of a local use of kayaks, that might be a better place to put in if you just wanted to paddle around kind of out front of the boathouse and come back. And again, staying away from the dam, the, the, the recreational user who may not be an experienced kayaker could just kind of paddle around in that little stiller water there. Yeah, I would agree with Mark that there's a little bit of an eddy there. If you remember, Amber, right before we get to the dock at KU, there's a little eddy. And the thought is, is that maybe um, by directing people to that spot, they don't get into the, to the area that gets them closer to the dam. I think we thought it was more of a safety issue. Another question. Uh, since this is the, the park is public use, are there hours of usage? And if people are kayaking, say when it's getting a little darker, what's the lighting situation where you think this is going to be located? 
Well, that's a good question, Jackie. We hadn't really talked about lighting, but we probably should because um, you're right. I mean, there are times, especially in the summer, where people are going to be coming in at dusk. So, um, Mark, maybe we can add that to our discussion list. Thank you, Jackie. It might be that the KU Boathouse has lighting, but we'll have we'll have to check that. Uh, Marilyn Hull, um, advisory board member. Derek, um, what about this location relative to homeless camping? I think I just read a newspaper article that there was a cleanup in that area. And, and do we have any idea um, whether there's going to be any conflict between the kayak users and uh, campers? Um, I'll speak up on that. Um, part of the, the reason for making it as, um, as cage-like as it is and as open as it is was one, so that it would re um, be able to let flood water wash through. But the other thing was to make it where it really isn't useful for much of anything to be put into it other than kayaks or something that's in dry bags um, that can be protected from the rain. So that was part of the goal is that, or part of that, the idea of that design is just to make it not very useful for you. Like crawling into it wouldn't help. You would be no different and be much less comfortable than being outside and then putting things in it. It would just fall through it if you weren't, if you didn't have it in dry bags or something. And it just would be, it wouldn't be any more protected from the weather than it would be outside. Um, this is Marilyn Hull again. I wasn't so much thinking about the unit itself being tampered with as I'm thinking about um, kayakers being deterred in any way by the presence of um, campers that they, I don't know, might be uncomfortable around. Or if there are campsites out there with trash and that sort of thing. Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. Yeah, I think there's always gonna be a potential for conflict anytime between people camping that are homeless and the public. That being said, the area by the, the boat boathouse to the west, I do believe there's some camps in there. I don't recall seeing them on the road last week when I was up there near the, the boathouse. Um, there's always that opportunity for, for conflict and um, Bertram Park has seen a high number of uh, people camping right now that are homeless. So that is always a possibility and we will continue to, to work to try to keep separation between I use public areas and those that camp. Marilyn, um, we've also, you know, as river users, mm -hmm. Lawrence isn't the only community, as you well know, that has lots of camping along the river. And so we've been, and Kim Bellamere is online today. She's really done the work for us, but we've really been working with local um, homeless shelters to find, uh, for frankly, for um, information to help us um, work with people along the river and to be respectful of, of their camps and to um, help us with cleanups. So we have a cleanup that we're doing in April and we're partnering this year with the Lawrence Community Shelter for the first time ever. 
And the purpose of that is for them to come in and help our volunteers understand how to work in these spaces. So I feel like we're trying to, to um, bring these, um, these groups in that can help our volunteers, which in turn helps them when they um, uh, come into contact with homelessness along the river up and down the entire corridor. So um, we are trying to work on that as well at Friends of the Caw. Would there uh, be any further questions for uh, Don or David uh, from the board? Amber Nichol, board member, I just have a quick question. Will there be locks on the locker or do people need to provide their own? It is designed so that people bring their own. That way, um, we were, I think, David, would you like to talk about the locking? I'll let him talk about it. Um, yeah, we talked about this quite a bit and decided probably the most effective way would be to promote the fact that you bring your lock with you when you're paddling and you'll be able to lock it um, when you use it. And that kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier of just trying to make it where it's not very useful for anything but this, but putting a kayak and things and dry bags and stuff in that should discourage people from using it otherwise. And then as you paddle, you'll bring your lock with you. Yeah, you'll lock your stuff up and then unlock it and take your lock with you. And that seemed more effective than any of the other kind of easily, quite quickly became complicated ways of trying to deal with this. And then one of the things of the many about maintenance and other things we talked thought about is trying to make the hinges and everything on these doors extremely um, extremely hardy because knowing that people will be able to open them and and climb on them or something like that they'll be able to withstand that. All right. I'm not seeing any additional questions for you guys. Um, and uh, thank you for bringing this to us and letting us know about it. This is awesome. I think it'll be a great boon to the city. And it looks like you guys have done some great work with the Parks and Rec staff to go ahead and develop this plan. So um, definitely go ahead and keep us in the loop. We, we would love to know more about it as soon as it's able to, uh, to uh, come closer to being able to get off the ground. So. Oh, Val? Yeah, I just had one question. Did that, um, I don't remember the total, but did that include adding the new um, pullout or takeout on the south side of the river? Yes. Yeah, okay. So it's uh, adding that, adding the, well, adding those two then. And right. there, would be a, there would be storage at both spots. There would be sport storage right now at the Lawrence Birch and Park location. And if this little pilot project does well, then we have plans to take it in more places along the river. And so um, we're, we're hoping to test drive it, if you will, here. It's such a great location um, and it's so close to the, to the downtown that we think it'll be a great place to test, to test it out. So. Thank you all very much. I really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you guys. And thank you for leaving your contact information. We definitely appreciate it. All right.
righty. Um, to go ahead and get us going, I believe uh, our next item is partnership activity with the Lawrence Art Center and Friends of Oak Hill Cemetery. Uh, Penny, I'm not sure who would be presenting on that, uh, if you can help us out. I'll take that one. Okay. I'm Mark Hecker, Assistant Director with Parks and Recreation. So we wanted to highlight a couple more partnerships that we've been working on, and I'll talk about a couple more. I'm going to share a screen here really quick. Are you seeing that brochure? Okay, so a partnership we've developed. This is brand new. Just We started working on it in January. So we're partnering with the Lawrence Arts Center to bring theater to the park. So this is programming. So if you see our little logo up here, we're a partner in this program. The Arts Center is doing all the program work. And so you can see all types of youth theater they're presenting in South Park. They're doing an improv in South Park. So this is something that they said, you know, with, with COVID, they kind of have capacity issue inside their building and they wanted to run programs, but they really needed space for people to, for spectators and participants to come. So we were able to come up with a whole set of programs and then we're gonna host it um, over here in South Park, which a couple pictures. So we built a stage over in the Northeast corner of South Park. Um, basically it's gonna be just kind of a flat deck where they can come out, they'll have a microphone, there won't be any lights and they're gonna do all types of performances. So the partnership was that we would build the deck, we'd provide the electricity, but we wanted them to leave it free to the public. So all these presentations or, or programs will be free for people to come out and enjoy. What this does is allow us to just provide a facility and them to do all the program work on it. It really is gonna, I think it's gonna be kind of a cool little summer activity where people are just sick and tired of being sick and tired. So they wanna get, get out in the park and enjoy some things and it puts kids out on stage. So that's our stage. Um, looking at this, this was, you won't recognize it, but it's actually leftover pieces from the old skate rink. So we basically stacked them in, double stacked and then bought new decking on top. We've kind of pulled it out of storage and put it out there and it's gonna work really great. It's 32 by 20 stage with the little step down platforms on each side. So you can see our very fancy backdrop we put back here is already there. Uh, the electrical panels are right over here on this side so we can plug in and run anything we want. So just kind of a cool little partnership that we didn't have before this year, but I think it's gonna be kind of fun. And um, we're still working with the Lawrence band on what we're going to do with them on, you know, your normal Wednesday night band concerts. But these performances are going to happen anywhere from Sunday night through Thursday night. And then we asked them not to book anything Friday, Saturday and Sunday afternoon. So that if we had weddings or other bigger activities in the park, we wouldn't conflict. But I can see picking and fiddling might use this. I can see, you know, art in the park will probably use this. Quite a few people are using it for lunch out of the, the, the county facility over there. So that, that's been a kind of a fun little little uh, partnership. Any questions on that one? Uh, this hey, is Mark, John Blazik. Huh? Oh, go ahead, Pat. 
Okay, just just briefly, thanks, John. This is Pat Phillips, board member. Not not a question, but just a comment, Mark. I just I was checking it out, being curious, and I saw it in um, a write up that it was there. Um, I love the repurposing of of um, the equipment as far as the the skating rink. Um, and the whole idea of the partnership, I think, is such a positive um, way that Parks and Recs is connecting with programs um, um, that reach all different ages. So I really appreciate that work. Mark, John Blazik, board advisory board member. Hey, great idea. I think that's really cool. I think that's really good. Nice job, buddy. Thanks. I'm kind of excited about it. You going to sing? Have... Oh. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> I just wanted to, I think it's really cool too. And I wonder, could you add a ramp so people with in wheelchairs or, you know, walkers um, could get on? Uh, Mark Ecker. Yes, I think that's a good thought. Uh, we'll talk with the Art Center folks about their. Would, yeah, if you still have some wood, it probably wouldn't take that much. Yeah, that's not a bad thought. Art Little John, uh, Parks and Rec Chair. Uh, when would this uh, be starting up? Uh, I'm sorry, I think I overlooked that. So let's go back to their little brochure here. So you can see anywhere from, um, they have some early spring activities, then it looks like they're planning production numbers through June, July. So I think it's going to be kind of fun. All these are out in South Park. This is in South Park. So. I know they're starting practice already. It's kind of fun to, to look in other people's brochure activities. That, you know, we always have our little magazine, and we looked at their programming. It's like, well, it's kind of cool. We we tend to kind of do our own thing. They do theirs, we do ours. And we don't really mix too often. So this is kind of a cool opportunity that we'll kind of see a little bit of what they produce over there. Another partnership I was going to touch on, there's actually a couple more, Friends of Oak Hill, um, that's a, a partnership group. They're going to go for, uh, apply for a grant for restoration of historic markers in Oak Hill Cemetery. And, you know, they're, they're, they've already put the grant together and they've submitted it. So if they're successful in that, that'll be the first time where we've kind of used a little bit of a, a private group to, to finesse the the historical preservation. So they're targeting markers that are, you know, hundred plus years old that really don't have anybody hanging around to, to help preserve them. So we'll work with them as they get that put together. And a couple of other um, partnerships, we're working with the Lawrence Skateboard Association. So there's a half pipe over there that needs to be taken out. And so we work with them to come up with a kind of a schematic plan. Then we send an RFP out to see what we can do with have some skateboard designers to do a little um, improvement to that park. So if we take out a feature, we want to put something back. So they've been kind of an interesting group to work with because they, they have a little different angle on things than maybe that our staff do. So that's good fun. And then another good fun thing that's, this is going to be future. So that I'm cutting in on the ground floor here. Working with the Sertoma Club, they're talking about doing a drive-through lighting um, event. So this would be out of the YSC complex. So if you've been to Topeka or Kansas City, there's a number of parks where you can pay an admission, you drive through, they have holiday lights. So this would happen from roughly Thanksgiving through end of the year. 
Um, they're kind of excited about it. So we're kind of working with them to do a, a MOU to, to figure out who does what, who pays for the electric, who pays for what. So that'll be coming in next month, but it's going to be kind of a cool event if we can pull it off. So those are the recent partnerships we're working on this week. Amber Nickel, board member. Mark, I do have one question about the stage because I would imagine that the word's going to get out that there's a stage and electricity. So how will it be addressed if some band just wants to do something? Is it potentially be reserved? Is it potential for just anybody to hop on? How does that work? Mark Eckert, Parks and Rec. Wouldn't that be terrible if we just have people performing over there all the time? I've got it. Um, we're going to set it up as a, as a event, so it, you can basically reserve it. So if there's somebody that wants to reserve it and there's times when it's not in that agreement with the Arts Center, they can reserve it for a band or whatever else we'd like to do. I would guess some of the special events that are held in South Park will want to use it just as a presentation stage, too. Uh, Jackie Becker, Vice Chair. Will there be a noise decibel limit for, let's say, said band who might want to be out there? <laughs> Mark Hecker, Parks and Rec. Yes. Um, so when we talked with the Arts Center originally, we talked about, do we want lights? Do we want to do anything? And they said, no, no. We want to shut this down when it gets dark. So I think that will address neighborhood concerns. And I think we could be pretty sensitive to keeping the speaker levels down. And, you know, as long as we aren't getting into that 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night, I think we'll probably be okay with the neighbors. Our little John Chair, Parks and Rec. Well, this sounds awesome. It sounds like great opportunities to go ahead and get some live music out there and give, give people a break. So um, as long as, like you said, as long as the speakers don't go to 11, I think... Uh, I think we'll all be fine. <laughs> um, but uh, also, I was thinking about what you were saying about the drive through park, and it made me think of, you know, also the before times, you know, when we could actually do things. I went down to the uh, Arboretum in Olathe, and they had, like, this light show as well. So I think that would be awesome. So... Um, but yeah, yeah, what you guys are talking about with the drive through light show, I think that's great. Mark Ecker, the Parks and Rec. One of the models for this is if you go over to Topeka and Lake Shawnee and their campground, they've had a, a presentation in there for probably 10 years that, you know, they just keep building, building, building. But it, it's usually a, a fundraiser for a specific group. Um, so we're working with Sertoma to kind of hopefully angle of the, the fundraising towards the We Folk Scholarship Fund for us, and then they have a number of, of things that they support. So hopefully between the two of us, we can put something together that's kind of cool for the community. All right, y'all, do we have any additional comments for Mark on this? All right, great job, guys. Really is. All right, uh, moving us on. Uh, naming subcommittee updates. Item number three. Who wants to take the uh, wheel on this one? Brendan, you want to do it or you want me to? Uh, 
Uh, I thought you had said you were going to take this one, Amber. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I think you've got it. <laughs> All right. Well, I just have some quick notes, um, and I said, well, so what I might have you do, Brendan, is maybe, well, no, I'll find it. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry. So we were just going to kind of do a quick highlight of the document that we started with, which um, Derek had kind of pieced together from some multiple city uh, examples. And sorry, I've got kind of a split screen, so it's a little small, but um, so we're working on the purpose of this policy, the objectives of this policy, um, criteria for names and um, most cities base that on either like the subdivision or a historical event or something that has happened, you know, significance um, or geographical, um, like a hill or a point or something like that. Um, and then, of course, like honoring either donations or somebody that's contributed greatly to Parks and Rec. And... I guess one of the things I'm, I'm not going to go through and and really point out a bunch of the highlights yet, unless somebody wants to hear, you know, how this is working through. But things that we talked about as a subcommittee that we're curious about is, do we tend as a board to want this to be a highly detailed and um, specific document? Do we tend to appreciate things that are a little more vague and open to interpretation. I've never written a policy like this before. Um, and, and each city example that we've seen has been pretty different. So I'm just curious your thoughts on, you know, how much wiggle room or specific we want to get. Um, also a question was, does this process and policy need to be implemented for all naming events. So if we are going to name a fountain or a bench or an item within a park, do we want to make sure that this policy is put into place and that the formality that um, asking for community involvement and engagement is always utilized or if it's just on these bigger projects? Um, there are things to take into consideration around donations and sponsorships. So that's kind of where we're working now. Uh, what else? And then lastly, I'm curious, we're curious as a committee too, if, you know, reviewing all of the current names of parks and things like that, do we, are we curious or interested in retroactively trying to balance any community representation or do we just want to move forward knowing that there's a slight imbalance of representation of the community and that that's a focus that we, you know, highlight in the policy or, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on that? And then if there's any other things that you would like us to take into consideration before we really start finalizing this draft. And we've set ourselves with a hopeful more final draft by the May meeting. That's our deadline. This Go is, ahead, uh, thank you. This is John Nalbandian. I am a new member of the subcommittee. 
um, and I looked at the documents that we um, we received. And oh wait, Roger, is it? No, this is the naming committee. You're, that's you're thinking of the sponsorship committee, which we'll be presenting, I think, at a future meeting. Oh, so uh, they, they all kind of the, it all, yeah, they yeah, are they, they are interrelated. Yeah, trust me, we we <laughs> we discuss many things on sponsorship within the me meeting too. Um, yeah, I think anyway, I think regardless of what committee looks at it, uh, that what we need to what we need to entertain is name uh, uh, kind of like uh, what it would cost to get your name on a plaque, you know, like um, like the names we have on the council member names or commissioner names we have on buildings. You know, I mean, what would it cost for uh, someone, some group? To to just you know want their want their name put some money in for like um, uh, uh, one of the picnic areas. Um, I don't know why we couldn't do that. I think you know it wouldn't wouldn't person wouldn't contribute a lot of money, but they'd get a name. It wouldn't be real prominent, but um, anyway, uh, that's just the thought. This is Val Renault, a member. I'm on the committee with John about um, sponsorships. So it does seem like at some point, pretty soon maybe, we would have to start working together to, to some extent just because that does go into the naming. Um, like, like we're looking at a splash pad, you know, we're trying to think, well, could some of those be named and, you know, we could get some funds in advance. So... Just, just saying, I guess, that we're going to be coordinating, I suppose. Yeah, this is uh, Bart Little, John, Chair, Parks and Rec. Uh, you, that was going to pretty much echo my point that uh, we, it might behoove us to go ahead and, you know, not if not model it after what we're doing for sponsorship with, with the tiers and whatnot and, and how it's outlined that, uh, you know, just to... Uh, at least uh, some some collaboration between the two subcommittees to see exactly how we want to go ahead and proceed. And uh, Amber, to uh, go ahead and address your uh, earlier question, like your first one, in terms of details, I think at this point, since we're just starting off, I think we just need plot points and then we could kind of fill it out afterwards, uh, just something to work from. So I think, uh, I think just getting something on paper or just getting something in front of us would probably be the best at this point. Um, and uh, to address, uh, you know, your, your latter question about, uh, you know, retroactively, you know, looking at names, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure because once you get on that path, it's uh, uh, personally speaking, it's, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of discussion that needs to be had, you know, within, you know, with all, within all factors and it's absolutely necessary. And uh, so, um, but uh, yeah, that'll probably be a greater discussion that we'll go ahead and need to have about that. Yeah, I wanna point out some of the thoughts that have arisen just from looking at all these different cities policies that I think are interesting. There are some cities that don't allow any living person to be you know, used as a namesake. 
Um, and I think one even lists that they need to be deceased for at least three years. I mean, like, it's just so interesting, like the level of specificity, um, specificity, sorry, can't hard work. Um, but I thought that was interesting. And then also, you know, we did discuss as a committee, the idea of the cost associated and like na naming parks and, and large entities and facilities, um, just the cost associated with renaming things. And also it's just highly, and, and most of those city policies say it's, you know, highly encouraged not to, or discouraged to change names for things. So I think that it gets a little tricky with naming things after people um, specifically. And it's almost kind of looks like something that might want to be avoided. <laughs> um, so I think if you're, you know, when we talk about bringing these two subcommittees together, almost like a sponsorship panel is a better way to honor people. It just a thought. So Roger, was there anything that I'm missing? This is, this is, this is John Nelbandian again. The sponsorship subcommittee um, asked me to um, reach out to the chamber, uh, which I did. Um, and um, the Bonnie Lowe and Hugh Carter have both expressed an interest in, in meeting with us and talking about this whole idea of naming rights and partnerships. And we thought we could learn something from how the business community looks at this. And, uh, and so uh, that uh, conversation is, uh, is, is um, it's not scheduled, but they invited us to, um, to meet with them. And, and so we could learn from each other. Roger, you were before me, so you should go. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Jackie. So Amber, one of the, you know, cause obviously I'm on the sponsorship committee too. One of the things, you know, that you find out that we're still trying to assess with Roger and if Roger, you'd be all right to share the documents you shared with us. Um, just, you know, what is the value of parks and rec and be it a bench, be it a, a wading pool, be it a splash pad, be it a, a park, be it a trail, you know, trying to figure out the community's comfortability on sponsorship. And so we did develop a quiz that are a survey that we would like to try to get out. Um, and then again, we have a listing, Roger put together a really nice document now of all of our parks that fits onto just a couple of sheets, have you take a look at it. And so I think maybe at some point, you know, we could maybe merge us together or have a more larger roundtable discussion once you've kind of come up with how you've looked at naming rights and the things that you're finding out through the research you're doing. Cause that's kind of how we ended up. We did a bunch of research and was like, oh, all these things we hadn't thought about. And Roger's been really excellent in having us take it slow so we don't jump into something too quickly. And then you end up with someone's name on something that maybe shouldn't have had a name on something. And so it's it, it's definitely a big thing to consider. Art, may I? Oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm Brock Marketing Specialist. Um, you know, in terms of, of the two things, uh, naming rights, that would be more towards the sponsorship uh, that the other committee is doing. I, I think that what Amber 
and Brendan is doing is more of putting together the, the thoughts in terms of how you name the parks for the, the community in general, not necessarily have dollars tied to them. Now, now where the marketing, the, 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 sorry, the sponsorship policy comes into play is sometimes naming happens because of dollars. And so we have to make sure because there are a lot of, uh, and I think I provided both teams, uh, I believe the list of all the parks and how they were named in the community. Something that I put together in 2017 when we were talking about the sponsorship policy and it gets kind of blurred lines, but it basically, I'm thinking of like a park like Parnell Park. It was a piece of land donated by the Parnell family and so their name got attached to it. Now, I don't know how that happened, but you know, it was probably more or less because they donated the piece of land. Um, so those types of situations happen. Again, that becomes a donation, which we're still working on that policy as well. So you, you see the many different layers and I'm just trying to make sure that each one of them, as we build these kind of understand each other's function within the world. So when we're talking about naming, it could be a public piece of land. And I know there's, there's some that may be coming forward in the future uh, near where the, the police station is. Uh, that park will be, need to be named in the future. Um, so to me, that one would take on the public process. Uh, then we have developers that have pieces of land that bring land to us which they may or may not, depending on the, the, the actual agreements and contracts, they may want to name, and that's where it would go through a process, you know, uh, similar that it may be that they put the name forward, then it comes here, then it goes to the city commission. Uh, then we have the sponsorships where we try to go and recruit people uh, to do things uh, where they would put their name on a building, and it could be tied to a, a time period. Uh, just, you know, five to seven years or whatever we determine is that value for the dollars they're wanting to invest. Um, so I, I, I think that we're, we're working towards a plan that's mainly looking at what, what defines the community and what they feel uh, are criteria to name a park in the long term uh, instance. As Amber said, a lot of communities that have policies, they kind of have, have this misnomer that you, it's very hard to rename them once they're named. But there are, you have to have those criteria as we've witnessed in, in uh, recent past. And I'm thinking of in, in uh, especially a college in particular that had something happen and they, they removed statues and other things honoring people. Um, so it, it becomes kind of, it, I don't want it to have some immediate thing that we have to do, but it's something, some thoughtful thoughts that, that Amber wanted to put forward to the group just to kind of get their sense on if it's something that you would, you know, you would want to go back and maybe look at renaming things, or is it something that you think, okay, these things are named, uh, let's keep them that way, unless there is something that comes up that we would rename them, and then just also you know, keeping in, in mind the balance that may need to happen in the future as we have new items come forward to us to be named. Um, and then the sub features, as she mentioned in a park, uh, the shelters and those types of things, a lot of times we can do sponsorships with those. 
but they're not as prominent as a name on a park or, um, you know, we can always have presenting. Uh, that's more of a sponsorship side of things where we have, you know, the uh, I'm, I'm Acme ABC presenting South Park. I'm not saying that that would happen, but you could have some kind of company name on a park or a facility, um, whereas uh, they're paying just to have their name. And then we'd have to basically have the, in, in the, in the contract that we would make up with these people, we would have to do said things like every time that we would produce a news release or some other material related to that park, we would have to have that, that name on there. And anytime we talked in public, we would have to say, Acme presented, you know, so it becomes a little bit tricky from the internal side of things when you're starting to do sponsorships to make sure you're adhering to all the policies that you have within the contract. Um, so to me, this is more of just naming at this point, trying to look at the mores of our community, trying to figure out exactly what those are and how we want to, to really go forward and selecting names for the future of our parks. This is Bart Littlejohn, Parks and Rec Chair. All right, everyone, you got that? I hope you were taking notes. I wasn't. So. This is Pat Phillips, board member. Yeah, I, I got it kind of. But one thing I just wanted to share when I was thinking, when you were talking, Amber, one criteria I thought was important to, to filter through is, is the mission statement of this our city, you know, as well as Parks and Rec. So kind of just one of the top of the envelope as it filters down. Yeah, Pat, when you sent those um, comments over, that was really helpful. And they're they are noted in the um, Google Doc that we're working through. So I agree with you that that's a very important piece to take into consideration. Brendan, was there anything that we talked about that and I'm forgetting? No, I think you covered it up, but, but there's nothing I was thought you were missing. I thought you covered every point that we talked about. I feel I feel really confident that we have a good base for the policy and the document. So I think that we'll easily be able to present something at the next meeting that hopefully just requires a few minor tweaks. Cool. That's great to hear. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Sounds like you guys are on the right path. And it sounds like Sounds like some collaboration with the uh, sponsorship committee is probably in the future as well. So, um, but uh, yeah, thank you guys for all your hard work on this. We, we truly appreciate it. Uh, one more, just, I guess, question, comment. So since the uh, park by the police department will be the next park then, right? Um, do we have a process already for, or is this going to be your debut <laughs> with the new police park? I think that'll be the debut, right? Director of Parks and Recreation, that's uh, what we were thinking. This would be a great time to get a good process in place to get the community engagement to name the parks. And that's something I'm not really sure has been there in the past. And by having a policy that really spells out how the community gets engaged, how the advisory board gets engaged, how the commission gets engaged, should be a fun process and a pretty neat thing to, to see in, in action. So yes, 
whatever you call that park, that's the one. <laughs> it could be Eisenhower Park for a street, it could be the police department park, whatever the community wants to come up with. Amber, uh, Bart Roger Steinbrock, marketing supervisor. Amber, why don't you mention what you found about that one one people, that one city that does certain things with parcels of land and tell their name. So we'll. Yeah, uh, one thing that we found in some of the other city policies that I thought was really great was they they mentioned that oftentimes before a park is officially named. There's a nickname for it, right? Train park, whatever. And those nicknames tend to stick even after the official name is made. And so they recommend just using numbers instead of a nickname, right? So it's park 11, park 12, park 13, so that people don't get tempted to call parks by the wrong name before they're official. Is that what you're, that's what you're talking about, Roger, right? Because it's going to be called Cop Park if we're not careful. <laughs> That's a great point, Amber. Yeah, yeah, we, we probably should be conscious of that. Um, does anybody else have any uh, further questions or comments for Amber and Brendan and uh, Roger? All right, not seeing any. Okay, thank you guys again for all your hard work on it, and we look forward to your your guys' presentation there. All right, uh, looks like our next item is concerns of and concerns and items of interest of the board. And um, actually, I would like to go ahead and start us off on this one. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen, but there are quite a few people camping. So uh, I, I guess an item interest of mine would be the houselessness um, issue and just the relation uh, of how uh, Parks and Rec uh, interacts with that. And Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. Uh, tomorrow night's city commission meeting, um, it's a work session and Brandon McGuire will be leading a, a discussion on homelessness and interaction. And I know uh, probably speaking for our department, legal will have a, a piece, Brandon will have a piece. I'm assuming uh, law enforcement will also have a piece, possibly fire department and other departments. So it's bigger picture is the interactions and um, from my perspective, it's how we started. I would say COVID is probably a good time to go back to in the history. We didn't have that many people out in our parks. We maybe didn't have as many people camping in our parks, but we did have, my perception was we had more people in more parks, various parks, but in lower numbers. So they could have been sleeping in South Park or sleeping in a gazebo or in a, a shelter. And then as the activity, the public came more out of the doors and had more recreation in our in our parks, the higher uses usage in our parks tends to change the interactions of those that are camping in our parks. So they tend to go a little more remote. So if you have a lot of activity in a park, usually that reduces some of the activity of the camping because they want to be away from that. Now we're to the point where we have a I would say a higher concentration of people camping. We still have them in a lot of locations around Lawrence, whether it be a park, city property, or private property. 
but there, there may be a higher number that might be five, six, seven tenths together in one area, whereas before it might have been one or two tenths. So you notice that we had the uh, higher usage of campers initially in Watson Park, Constant Park in the open space. And between uh, interactions with Bert Nash and community residents in the neighborhood, uh, discussions with fire, law enforcement, other city services. The high use open space park areas uh, and areas near schools and playgrounds are going to see a higher level of uh, compliance with you can't camp in a park unless you have a written permit uh, by Parks and Recreation. And right now we have none of those permits. We did have one for Woody Park for up to 108 days. And so you we encouraged the folks through education and communication between Burt Nash and our staff that they needed to move out of Watson Park. Um, it's still not in compliance to camp in any city park, but if you're in more of a secluded area or a wooded area, you may or may not have interactions with Parks and Rec and city staff in those areas. Um, again, sometimes it's real cut and dry, it's a safety or safe infrastructure issue. So for example, you're camping underneath the uh, Vermont Street Bridge and you have a fire. There's a potential to damage infrastructure. There's times that uh, somebody may be camping in a cul-de-sac or in a street. There's also potential for a danger safety for the individual that's still in the camping. So we've been trying to uh, decrease interactions between community users of, of, a, of a park or an open space or trails and those that are uh, camping in our parks. And so there's a lot of communication to include um, with Burt Nash and with the homeless. I would say the interactions for the most part have been uh, very civil and polite. When we ask campers to move, we give them 24 hours notice. Uh, some of the campers are really good about picking up around their area. Others are not so good. Um, we partner with areas or groups, uh, the river keepers, uh, friends of the call, they're cleaning up behind the Santa Fe Depot April 24th. Anybody, first of all, a volunteer group that wants help pick up in our parks, we're willing to co-sponsor and help them out. They want trash bags, they want a dumpster, and they got a group together, we'll help them. Uh, the North Lawrence group worked on Sunday to clean up along North side of the river up to towards the riverfront, and they cleaned up around uh, behind Sandra Shaw City property. So it's trying to keep a balance. Um, the CDC direction was to reduce, minimize moving groups that are camping. Um, the other piece of that equation is that there's not space available at your uh, community shelter. You cannot criminalize homelessness. So we're trying to be uh, very respectful of that. For the most part, it's uh, Burt Nash and our staff that are communicating with the folks that are camping. Um, but in a nutshell, uh, a lot of the things I'm gonna talk about tomorrow. Yeah, Penny Hollow Management Analyst. Um, so that work session, I did send that out to the board via email, it starts at five o'clock. Um, it's not the normal city commission time. Um, you can also view that um, on, uh, on YouTube, just like others might be viewing this tonight. 
Um, and as Derek mentioned, I think, um, you know, there recently was a, a joint uh, city county commission meeting uh, where they, you know, started talking about, um, you know, how the city and the county partner uh, together, um, you know, and, and in some ways, some of the, the reason the city was able to take the lead on some of these recent shelter projects was the availability uh, of grant funding. Um, but now that we have the opportunity to look at this further, what does that look like? between the city and community partners going forward. So I think those are some of the, some of the questions um, that they'll look at at the meeting tomorrow. Uh, this is Bart Littlejohn again, uh, Chair Parson Rec Board. And mostly I just wanted to, you know, kind of get some of that information out in front of the board as well, you know, and, you know, kind of address it and make sure that, you know, that it's something, you know, top of mind, but, I definitely just wanted to express that you guys have been put in a hard spot because you, you aren't the ones creating the policy. You're the ones enforcing the policy. And you're usually the first point of contact on both sides between those folks who are, who are houseless and those folks who see the houseless folks and, you know, those interactions there. So, like I said, you guys are put in a tough spot and I think you guys are doing a great job. So, um, I'm glad to hear that, you know, uh, you, you're so open and willing to help folks that are wanting to volunteer and clean up. Only thing I would add is uh, you might uh, you might go ahead and communicate that a little bit more just to, you know, make sure that, you know, folks know that you're willing to be a, you know, a partner with that. And um, I, I just wanted to reiterate that, you know, I appreciate all the hard work and effort that you guys are putting into this. Yeah, the resources piece and Parks and Rec has done this for ages. The resource comes part of the equation when we do a cleanup and about one a week is really maximizing the resources of the park staff. Um, for example, we cleaned up I think around five campsites in three different areas of the city with 30 staff. And it took approximately 83 hours of staff time, half a day that those 30 staff had normal duties to do additional duties as assigned. And uh, it's not the, it's, it's not a task that staff look forward to doing. They, they do it because they're good people and it's community service. But uh, they'd much rather be dragging ball fields, getting lines ready and, and getting games ready for kids and prepping rec centers. This is Val Renault, board member. I just had a question about the Woody Park infrastructure. Is that something that got packed away to be used again next year or? It's um, Derek Rogers, Director of Parks Recreation. Uh, we saved everything. Um, we have it set up. Uh, that will be a, a city commission or a city initiative at some, whatever the next project is, if there's a next project or when. And it's also available, a lot of that stuff, for emergency management, you know, tornado strikes. Uh, what can we use that stuff for? Um, so it, it's interesting to look at possibilities. And sometimes you may not think of that's your primary purpose. Some of that stuff could be used at the Saratoma uh, YSC light show this winter. Uh, you know, it's nice to have the extra capability when we need it. Were there any uh, additional items of interest from the board? 
I am not seeing any. Okay, uh, I'll go ahead and move us on. Um, and it should be an interesting meeting tomorrow. Um, uh, looks like our next item is staff update. Do we have any, does anybody have any comments or questions regarding that? I think I see Mark reaching for his mute button now. <laughs> Lee? This is Pat Phillips, board member. Um, I appreciate the pictures, the photos that are taken um, for all the things that were addressed. Um, and also the signage at the Sesquenial Park. I know I messed that up, but I remember that she came to one of the meetings and that was something that, that she put out um, as far as a need and all the work that she's done. I think it's really good that there was some follow through to um, put that signage up. So um, I appreciate that. Okay, not seeing a lot. Uh, thank you guys for sending that out. I truly appreciate it. And you get the uh, get the high golf clap from Val, so that's that's high approval indeed. So, um. <laughs> oh, and congratulations on the interns who got positions. That was nice. <laughs> well, I'm not. Yeah, Go just ahead. those long, the long lists of everything done are just fascinating every time. So thank you, guys. Absolutely. You guys are much appreciated. Um, and unless you guys have anything you guys want to add, uh, I think the next thing is the flame. Did you guys have any comments regarding the flame? I didn't realize 75th anniversary. That was something. And Derek Rogers Parks Recreation, um, Roger did a great write-up for the flame. Thank you, Roger. Um, April 2nd, 1946, we started, um, our goal is still to start off a year of celebration. Um, unfortunately, COVID continues to dampen our plans. Um, hopefully sometime later this summer, we can start kicking off some more outdoor events to, to start the celebration. Roger, would you like to add anything or any thoughts? Nah, <laughs> I think you covered it. I mean, it's a matter of just time. All right, Roger, the master of understatement. You got it. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll go ahead and move us on. All right, next item calendar our next meeting is monday may 10th be there be square uh thank you all for attending today i truly appreciate it and at this time if nobody has anything else i would entertain a motion to adjourn this is marilyn hell board member i motion we adjourn all right marilyn marilyn with the motion is there a second out there amber nickel board member i'll make a second all right, Amber with the second. Uh, seeing as there is no discussion or questions about it, uh, just a voice vote again. All those in favor, please say aye. Any opposed, please say nay. All those in favor, please say Oh, John, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Okay. I, I was just saying yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. All those in favor, please say aye.
Uh, <laughs> or if you're John, hold your finger up. <laughs> Any opposed? All right. Hearing none, I think we're all a little slap happy. So, okay. I think I think it's time to call it a day. So. Bye, everybody. Thank, all right. Bye, everyone. Take care. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.